it's hard. We spend so much time either in the car or at an actual appointment that there's some days they don't even get to play with their toys because we are literally gone all day. Hey, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney, and I am so excited to give you episode 86, Carly's Story. Carly has two young daughters, Addie, who is six, and Nora, who is three, and they are both disabled. We decided to focus in on Nora, however, because she is more medically complex. Nora has not one rare syndrome, but two rare syndromes which are the cause of many birth defects and medical complexities. In this episode, Carly shares what it was like to receive a prenatal diagnosis and the months that followed Nora's birth. And with more than 20 therapists and doctors between the two girls, appointment day is almost every single day. And so we dig into what that is like for her and her family. Carly, her husband Joe, and two daughters live in southern Illinois. She claims her occupation is, quote, full-time medical mom, which I think is so great, and (laughs) if you know, you know. Carly is a lover of comfy clothes and of hiking. Let's dive in. Hi, Carly. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm excited to hear your story about, um, you know, having Nora in your life and what that's been like for you. So I would love to start out with um, you sharing just a little bit about Nora and, you know, what makes her unique and a little bit about her um, medical stuff. Yeah. So there is a lot of ways to describe Nora. (laughs) She is very wild. She is happy, um, funny. She's hilarious. She loves laughing. Um, I call her a sour patch kid. She'll come up to me and kind of (laughs) caress my cheek. She'll look into my eyes, give me a kiss. And then she usually slaps me and runs away laughing. Oh my gosh. (laughs) She's very much a sour patch. (laughs) Um, she loves being outside. She loves playing. She graduated from her orthotics last year, and we kind of joked that she forced gumped her way out of them just so she could <laughs> run faster. <laughs> she is just, she's incredible. I'm biased, but she is just mm. amazing. Mm. She seems like it. Just even like looking at your Instagram and stuff and seeing pictures of her and, you know, a few of the stories about her, I'm like, oh, she does seem so cool. I love her. She is. Yeah, she knows it too. She'll use it. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. So if you, okay, so like if you were in the grocery store or something and some random stranger was like, what's she dealing with medically? Like, what is your like one sentence like sum up of her medical stuff? I know it's like tricky, but like what would you say to a stranger in the grocery store? It's so hard because she has so many that I'll either say a lot and leave it at that, mm-hmm. depending on my mood. Or yeah. um, her biggest one, I'll usually just tell them she has rare genetic conditions because nobody knows any of her genetic conditions. Right. And then hydrocephalus has been her biggest struggle. Okay. Awesome. I'm mean, not awesome, but like 
that that sums it up well (laughs) that is a good grocery store I like the like a lot like we're not talking about this right now because I think it's good to have a a bow out like we don't owe strangers you know yeah our child's medical records or (laughs) anything really we would be there yes we would be there all day if I would go into it and depends on my sassiness of the day yeah yeah oh that's (laughs) awesome um cool so let's dive in I know that you didn't receive her diagnoses till she was a baby so obviously there was no prenatal diagnosis but I'm curious was there anything about her pregnancy that gave you a heads up that there might be something medically going on like different than your older daughter Addie so we actually found out about ventricomegaly while I was pregnant Mm. I was actually seeing a high-risk OB along with my regular OB due to I had a miscarriage previously and some family history. Um, So the plan was that I was supposed to stop the high-risk OB at my anatomy scan at the 20-week ultrasound. Um, We went in for my anatomy scan, and my husband, Joe, came with me, which was very rare. He usually wasn't able to go to a lot of them. And the tech was doing her thing. And looking back, I feel like she must have had a really good poker face because I had no idea anything was going on Mm. um, until she left the room. When she was leaving the room, she made a statement. She said, I'm going to go show the doctors these and he'll probably want to come talk to you. And then Mm. she left. Oh, man. I started crying immediately. My husband looked at me like I was crazy because he had no idea why. Um, And I looked at him and I said, the doctor doesn't see you in the ultrasound. (laughs) Like something is wrong. So the doctor came in and told us that she had fluid on her ventricles, which we had no idea what that meant. (laughs) Um, And that we were going to continue being followed by them. I was going to need a fetal MRI and weekly ultrasounds. So it was a long 20 weeks after that point. Yeah. So, okay. Can you like freshen my memory too? Fluid on the ventricles, that is a part of the brain, right? Correct. So ventricomegaly is kind of the stage before hydrocephalus. Oh, okay. So it's before it's progressed into it. Okay. That's really interesting. You may know from listening to episodes, but like that's the same kind of ultrasound situation I was in with Kimball. And it is... I, I don't know. I don't, since you were seeing a high risk OB, that's interesting. I wonder if you had a little more, like, did you feel like you were expecting something to happen or to find something out? Or were you just like, we're just checking out? Like, this is it. I didn't really expect anything. I knew I was very big because I had extra amniotic fluid as well. However, like I mentioned, the plan was that was supposed to be my last appointment with them. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I was like, okay, because we had to drive about 40 minutes for this one. I'm like, oh, thankfully we're mm. done with them. Yeah. And then there we were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I bet that was a lot to take in. What happened after the doctor told you that and you're like heading home? Like what's going through your mind and in your heart? Like what's going on emotionally for you and your husband? I honestly don't remember a lot of it. I feel like I kind of zoned out. And then, of course, lots of Googling, which I always try not to, but it suckers yeah. you in. Yeah. 
and then it was just it was a big toll on us um a lot of new you know terms that we didn't know what they were I've always been a what if person so Mm -hmm. a lot of what ifs it was my first MRI and then a big old belly in that tiny MRI machine was terrifying yeah (laughs) Um, not to mention the weekly ultrasounds after that it took a lot we had Addie as well who was three at the time Mm. so it it was hard yeah yeah, I think that's funny because I was like, oh, she found out after she was born. But that's really it, it does start the prenatal thing. And like, that's just an interesting situation because you have this like time that is sort of limbo, like where you're waiting for the baby to come. Like they're not there yet. You're kind of just guessing, you know, what it's going to be like or mm-hmm. what they're going to be like. But then you're also kind of like already jumping into the whole medical world, you know, like because. Like you said, you'd never been in an MRI before and these new terms and you're already being thrown into that. It's a lot, you know, and while you're worrying about your baby and the what ifs, like you say, yeah, can be really heavy. And you feel like you're supposed to be able to prepare, like it should be better that you know, but it's not. I don't think mm. so. You might think you're prepared, but you're not prepared until you're in that situation until it's happening because you don't know what's going to be doctors are human they make mistakes they don't know what's happening nobody truly knows what it's going to be like until in the moment and in the present yeah yeah so you say that it was worse for you to know ahead of time what kind of thoughts or what kind of things were happening for you that you feel like did not prepare you well for her arrival I feel like Either way, it would have been bad. I don't know mm. if it'd be better knowing or not knowing. It was hard and a lot of what ifs on what's my baby going to be like? What is this going to look for our family dynamic? We had a meeting with a pediatric neurosurgeon, which was supposed to be very helpful. However, we ended up with a very arrogant doctor. Mm. He you know, was on his phone the entire meeting. Yes or no answers, not explaining anything. And I'm a pregnant woman who just found out this news about my daughter. So, of course, I'm emotional. Then I was angry. And Mm. it was less than helpful. We felt like we could have been guided a little bit more than we were. So that was, we just, we had no idea what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. That what if game is so scary. Just being like, what is like, you know, just kind of like perched on the edge of this cliff, like looking over like, oh, man, like, yeah, you know, which, yeah, it's just it's tough. It is tough to just guess or wonder. Did they mention anything about like chances of her not making it after being born or was there any kind of fear that way? So they recommended an amniocentesis. They highly recommended it. And we ended up turning it down due to the risk of miscarriage with it. Mm -hmm. Um, They basically told us they did not know what she was going to be like when she was born. Cognitively, they didn't know. And then, honestly, I feel like that's all we really got. Our genetic counselor was very sweet and she was helpful. However, they didn't know what was causing it. They didn't know if anything else was going to be there when she was born, which is kind of funny considering I was getting weekly ultrasounds. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was just this one big giant unknown. Hmm. Which is so scary. Yes. <laughs> the unknown is so scary because your brain does like, I don't know, I guess I'm speaking from my experience. My brain goes to worst possible case scenarios and like, you know, it's hard Always. to see a lot of hope. It's hard to see like, and there'll be this adorable kid that I love. Like that kind of just takes a backseat, I feel like, you know, when you're yeah. worried about their health and their safety and, you know, what life might be like. Yes, I feel like that becomes your main focus. And people are always encouraging, oh, look on the bright side. And then I'm the person that's like, well, what if this happens, though? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it is it is hard. I feel like you're blinded by your worry. Yes. Yes, that's a really good way to put it. Very blinded by the worry. And usually blinded to the the humanness of them, I guess. I don't know how to phrase that, but like... <laughs> the child of them right yeah yeah exactly like I feel like you're kind of robbed of like that typical (laughs) pregnancy experience where you're just anticipating like oh a cute baby that I will love you know because you're worried about them and all the unknown you are 100% it's just the joy of the pregnancy it's supposed to be a beautiful time and instead you're at the doctor's every week yeah yeah I mean like from just thinking back about when like I was pregnant with Kimball and it was kind of a similar thing where we had uh, weekly ultrasounds and stuff to monitor and oh it was such a roller coaster but like I do remember like this interesting feeling that I had with him that I did not have with my older daughter and I, I wonder if you had a similar experience but like there was this huge amount of like protectiveness that was very I guess aroused because of the situation over him like where I was like oh my gosh, this is my baby. Like, I will do whatever it takes to get him here. Like, those kind of feelings I did not necessarily feel with Wendy. And I'm sure that if we'd been worried about her, absolutely, that would have, you know, come up for me. But I guess, like, thinking about it, I'm like, that was kind of a tender, you know, I guess, silver lining among all of that was, like, feeling that protectiveness over this child. Right. I can relate to that. And that's one of the reasons we turned down the amniocentesis Mm. was because it wasn't worth it for us. It didn't matter what it said, that it was just, you were not about to stick a needle in my stomach and poke her (laughs) type of thing. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, no, we'll opt out. Like, any chances that it would hurt her? Nope. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Oh, man. Okay. So take us to um, birth. What was that like? Oh, gosh. So as I mentioned, I had a lot of amniotic fluid, which we found out later was related to her genetics. And on top of that, she was measuring at 10 pounds, 12 ounces. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So and I got a little cocky because Addie was eight pounds, eight ounces. So I was like, oh, I could do 10 pounds. (laughs) Not that much more. I can handle it. So they were going to let me try to have her vaginally. And so I was induced at 38 weeks and we live close to St. Louis. So we went over there to that hospital that's connected to the NICU at Children's. So I got there with my husband and they start the induction. And mind you, I was not having any contractions, nothing prior to this. The OB that was working that day came in and said, there is absolutely no way you are having her vaginally. Oh. 
So I was very upset at first, <laughs> mainly because I was having contractions now because they started my induction. Oh, wow. And it felt not quite like a failure, but scarier because I knew my recovery would be worse and we didn't know what to expect with her after she was born. But they explained that if I were to have her vaginally and if she were to get stuck, they would not be able to get her out safely because Mm. of her head. Mm. So of course I agreed to it then. (laughs) So I waited until that evening until we were able to do the C-section. Everything went good. I flooded the table because of all my fluid. (laughs) So that was a big ordeal. (laughs) Um, Then after the C-section, she was out. Everything was looking good. They actually let her stay in my room that night. Wow. I know. So (laughs) the next morning, Joe actually had to go home because we got a call that Addie was sick. So he left. And not even an hour later, the pediatrician came in furious because she was supposed to be in the next queue and wasn't. Mm. (laughs) Um, And then at the same time, I was having spinal headaches from the C-section. Joe was gone. I was in a lot of pain and Nora was getting transferred to NICU. Mm. Um, She got transferred down and the pediatric neurosurgeon came in. Luckily, it was actually a different one. This man sat down with me for probably 30 minutes talking to me. He Mm. was absolutely incredible. To this day, he is still my favorite doctor. (laughs) He calls and checks on Nora just randomly. He used to call me on the weekends to check on her. He is absolutely amazing. Wow. He told me that her images were actually looking a little bit better. So we were going to hold off on her shunt. We also found out that she had two holes in her heart, which are thankfully now closed. We found out she was low tone and had club foot. However, Our stay was only six days and we were able to go home. Mm. And then that's when things kind of got, I don't want to say worse, but different in a bad way. So (laughs) (laughs) it's got ominous. (laughs) Yes. Um, So eating was a struggle from the beginning and she had, she still does have pretty severe reflux. Um, We were having to feed her every two hours and she still was taking an hour to eat anything. Oh man. Um, she wouldn't wake up. We would have to turn the lights down because it hurt her too bad to have the lights on. We lasted about six weeks and then it got worse, which we didn't think was possible. Um, she wasn't waking up at all. She wasn't eating at all. Oh, wow. So we called the neurosurgeon on call. And the next morning we went in and she had her first brain surgery to place her shunt. Wow. And I remember like, so in looking at your Instagram and you were talking about her shunt anniversary, whatever, you know, her anniversary of getting (laughs) her shunt. And you mentioned that like, she really woke up after that surgery. Yes. The relief of the pressure and her eyes were so big after (laughs) her her surgery (laughs) and she smiled for her first time. And we felt like we were meeting her for the first time. We felt like we were finally getting to meet Nora. Mm. It to this day is still my favorite memory, my favorite picture. Mm. 
Addie to come in, you know, because it was pre-COVID. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Addie came in and even she at two years old was like, her eyes, her eyes, mommy, her eyes are open. Mm-hmm. And it was just incredible, you know, because shunts fail quite often, mm-hmm. but it also saved her life. Wow. I bet that was so amazing. And I think that's fairly common, I'm guessing, among our community of parents. We're like, kind of like that typical, like, oh, they take the baby after they're born and place them on your chest. And that's when you're like, my baby. And like, that's when you get to know them and stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I think that probably the, that moment occurs at other times for a lot of um, parents because of different medical stuff going on. Like, because I hearing that story reminds me of like when Kimball, I mean, it was like the doctor shouldn't have done this. We found out later it was an error, but he was like, he doesn't need his collar anymore. And then he got to take off this big plastic collar. We got to hold him for the first time, like without a (laughs) collar. And I was like, this is like that moment of like, oh, I can finally hold him. And like kind of, it seems like a similar moment as when Nora got her shunt. But, you know, I think those times, um, we just sometimes can have those at different times, like the time where you feel like you really meet your child for the first time. Yeah, I agree. I think it's incredible. Just like with your experience and with Nora's shine, looking back, I actually have a hard time looking at her pictures because I can see just how much pain she was in. And we knew it then. And honestly, I feel a little guilty that she didn't get her shine sooner, but it's going back to just that memory. It's, like I said, it's my favorite memory of her because we did. It was like her birth again. We yeah. really, there was Nora happy and smiling in her eyes. I didn't know what color her eyes were. Mm. Like we, I mean, it was, it's amazing. It's yeah. sad. It's amazing. Yeah, like definitely. I always think <laughs> of like Inside Out the movie like when they have like the memories that are like touched by like joy and sadness you know and it's kind of like blended I feel like those kind of memories definitely feel like that because it's like oh it was so happy but like so sad that that's how it happened but it was so happy and you know yes for sure my infant had all these incisions on her head Mm. however she's looking at me with her eyes open smiling (laughs) yeah it's definitely a mix yeah, yeah. And you can appreciate it so much more, you know, when it was a procedure that got her there or like, you know, you didn't take that for granted at all, you know, being able to see her eyes yeah. or interact with her. Yes, exactly. And she hasn't stopped smiling since. She. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yes. Uh, well, I guess like fast forwarding, <laughs> um, <laughs> you've mentioned like that Nora has 13 specialists is that right she has about 14 doctors and three therapists okay yeah so like (laughs) so so appointment day is almost every day right like you probably have so many appointments let's talk about that what is that like for you um not just logistically but like on an emotional level like I just appointment days are so tiring to me and picturing doing that almost every day is baffling. So how do you handle that? Like, what is that like? So with that many doctors and that many therapists, and not to mention even Addie also has three therapists and then her doctors. Oh, wow. It's, I feel like whenever we have a busy week, 
which is almost every week, (laughs) I go into like, I call it my appointment mode. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I get these little blinders on. I grab my pen, my notebook, and I put my blinders on. And that is our focus. Nothing else matters at that moment. We go in, we get it done. (laughs) But then at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I feel, honestly, I feel a little sad and a little jealous of other kids. I saw a meme the other day that was like, you're taking your kid to soccer practice and I'm taking my kid to an appointment. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because I do feel like we spend so much time either in the car or at an actual appointment that there's some days they don't even get to play with their toys because we are literally gone all day. Yeah. So it's it's a mix of feelings again. Yeah. And I imagine too we're not in the appointment phase as much anymore. So it's not as often, but like when Kimball was in more appointments, not as many as, as your girls, but in a lot more, I feel like it's a little bit like being on the outside, looking in, like pressing up your noses, like, wow, like they just live. Like they're just like playing and going to preschool and like, and here we are shuttling back and forth. Yeah. And like, and you know, being kind of doctor mom, Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for your is, girls, that's probably. Yeah, sad. it's hard. And it's, it's taken me about three years, nor three. So <laughs> it's taken me about three years to remind myself that just because their problems are not big to me, that they still have problems that are big to them. Yeah, And I have to remind myself of that because I do have that tiny bit of jealousy that they do get to just do whatever they want that day. Mm-hmm. I have to remind myself that whenever I get to that point. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point because it's not only like the great equalizer to be like, oh, like it's not like they're free of problems. It's just not as obvious to me. Um, yes. But at the same time, it's also, I think, really unifying um, where it could feel more isolating, right? Like that could kind of combat that to be like, well, they have issues too. Like they're also grappling with things I just don't know about. Like we're all, we're all figuring stuff out right now. And exactly. And to them, that might be something big. Whereas I might look at that situation and wish that I had something so little, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's all our different perspectives on our life at the moment and what we have been through. Yes. Oh, yes. It is so relevant to what you've been through. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And even maybe different phases of life. Like there might be, you know, more difficult stages and be like certain things that used to like really bother me don't really bother me as much anymore. And then like, oh, now this is an easier phase. And so like I'm getting ticked about things that, you know, exactly. I might not have. Yes. Nora's longest hospital stay was about 30 days. And I know people who their kids have never been in the hospital. I know people Mm -hmm. whose kids have been in there longer. And it's all about just, like you said, the different parts of our lives. Yeah. So what do you do? Like, and this is going to get like, uh, this is not like a quiz. Like we're going to rate you on how (laughs) healthy your coping skills are. Well, I'm just curious after most days, I guess, but after appointment days, how do you like, decompress after all that like putting all that energy into like putting the blinders on and you know getting it done and what do you do like at the end of the day honestly I curl up on the couch and put on my show and 
most likely fall asleep on the couch because I am just mentally, physically exhausted Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I don't want to be touched by anybody or anything. I want to just lay there by myself and quiet with my show, (laughs) my show and my blanket. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, I feel like that is how I always feel after appointment days. It's just, I mean, there's just a lot too with appointments, but it's not just the like logistics of getting there and being there and like, and that, you know, that's a lot too, but just the emotional toll and problem solving with the doctors and like maybe being triggered back to past appointments that were really difficult or, you know, hard memories and Yes, it is a lot. And it's like you said, so much more than just physically getting there. I mean, Nora has a lot of diagnosis underneath her two genetics, which is the Louis Dietz syndrome and then the osteopathia striata with cranial sclerosis. We call it OSCS. Mm-hmm. But those cause so many other, she has so many other diagnoses and finding out how they correlate together or both of her genetic conditions are very rare. So then we deal with the doctors not knowing sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then we have to problem solve even more. Well, normally you do this. Well, normally not Nora's case. Yeah. Nora does not do normal. <laughs> yeah. So then problem solving, figuring out a plan, scheduling up tests, scheduling the next appointment. There's so much that just goes into just one single appointment, let alone when you have, you know, 10 in one week. Yeah. And you're the coordinator. Like, that's something that really baffled me (laughs) at the beginning of all this. I was like, wait, like, I'm the middleman. Why am I the (laughs) middleman? Like, I don't know any of this stuff. Like, so to be like in, you know, in a GI appointment and to be like, I don't know, talking about something be like, well, but what about this, you know, this specialty? And they would be like, oh, can you ask them about this and this or, you know, whatever. Like, that's a lot, too, just being the middleman. Yes, it really is. And it's actually funny you say that there has been probably three doctors who have told me because of Nora that they communicate with other specialists now that oh, they wow. did not before. Like, <laughs> while I'm very glad you are communicating, I'm still <laughs> questioning why you never did before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really funny. Like, yeah, we're that's what we're here for. We're get, we're gonna get you connected to everyone. Like, <laughs> throw a little mixer here. <laughs> oh man. Well, I would love to wrap up with a quote that you mentioned previously on Instagram. You wrote, like wildflowers, you must allow yourself to grow in all the places people thought you never would. I would love for you to share what kind of growth and changes that you've noticed in yourself because of this journey, you know, with your daughters and this type of lifestyle. I'm not the same person I was at all, which I know, I feel like most people aren't when they become moms everybody changes to some extent but I do not even recognize who I was before with us and with medically complex children you change even more people complain about changing but I honestly I think we're supposed to change in the different stages of our life I don't think the old me would be surviving this 
Nora has taught us just so much. She has showed me how to be strong and what strong really is. She started sitting and crawling with a chest tube. Like hmm. she is the definition of strong. As cliche as it is, she's taught us not to take time for granted because we don't know if we're going to end up back in the hospital or if something worse is going to happen. So we don't take it for granted. We celebrate like every tiny victory. She runs away from me. And instead of getting mad, I secretly celebrate it because she's running. Mm -hmm. She showed me that I have a voice. She showed me how to advocate for her and for her sister and Annie. I make sure that my voice gets heard because it's what gets her and Addie the care that they need. I don't step down, whereas before I might have. She has changed our entire family and has just showed us so much. Hmm. I love that. That resonates so much. And I think you're right, like where people are like, oh, I don't want to change. And I think it's painful. It's really painful to go yeah. through the things that do change you. But you're right. Like you needed to adapt to be able yes. to be capable of what you're doing right now. So I think everybody, you're not going to be the same person you were five years ago, whether you go through something traumatizing or not. It's it's inevitable. And it is sometimes for the better to be able to cope, to be able to support and be there for your family and for yourself. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Well, what would you say to parents that are maybe like just starting out on this journey and are probably undergoing change and that really painful stage of it? But like, it's not like, wow, I'm changing. This is so cool. Like in that really painful stage of change that they'll realize later, like, wow, that was great. What would you like to say to them that might be listening right now? I would tell them that it is worth it and your body and mind are doing what they have to do to survive. That they're not alone no matter how lonely it feels. And that as hard as it is, it's easier to accept it and to go with the change instead of fighting it. Very wise. Yes. I echo that. Amen. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Carly. I really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing with us today. Thank you so much. For adorable photos of Carly and her family, check out the website, therarelifepodcast.com. You can also find links in the show notes to follow Carly and me on Instagram. Also, if you haven't yet, be sure to check out our appointment day merch. Sweatshirts and t-shirts designed for you to wear to appointments. My hope is that they can give you just a touch of empowerment and the reminder that you are not alone. There are so many of us, like Carly, that are soldiering through endless appointments with our children too. They come in women's, men's, kids, and baby sizes, so, you know, your whole family can match, which is pretty stinking cute if you ask me. There is a link in the show notes for that, and I will add that all proceeds go towards supporting the podcast, so it's a win-win. Join Carly and me next week as we dig into her mental health as a medical mama. Carly has always struggled with anxiety, but... 
since traumatic events with Nora, she now deals with night terrors, depression, and panic attacks on top of her anxiety. And I know this is a common tale, so I cannot wait for you to listen and know to your core that you are not alone. See you then.